This is Sunday Focus, a weekly public affairs program that looks at the topics affecting our society and the people who are making a change in the community each and every day. The people who have vision for the next generation. Sunday Focus presents new challenges for us, keeping you informed with topics of local and regional interest. Now the host of Sunday Focus, Christine Manica. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Sunday Focus. We're always encouraged to make the world a better place and do good deeds for others. But sometimes we don't know where to start. One local man named Bruce Bloomer decided to take action in a huge way. Bruce is part of Haiti Alive, a local nonprofit organization that helps people of Haiti. Not only is Bruce an activist for Haiti Alive, but he is also an author for a book called It's Not My Problem. Or is it from nudge to nonprofit? And joining us right now in the studio, it is Bruce. Hey, Bruce. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you. Yes. Thanks so much for joining us and taking time out of your busy schedule. And before we talk to you more about your book and about your nonprofit, tell us about who you are and where you're from, just to start. Sure. I'm a product of the Dakotas. Um, I grew up in a little town east of Watertown called Clear Lake, and so spent the first a um, number of my years in Clear Lake and then graduated with junior high in high school in Aberdeen and then have been around South Dakota. Um, spent about 20-some years in education. I was a elementary and middle school teacher and principal, worked at a couple universities. And then my second kind of career was in fundraising and foundation work. And so I worked with the United Methodist Foundation. I worked with the University of Sioux Falls and some other organizations in kind of in the foundation fundraising world. So those are kind of my two worlds, kind of the education world and the fundraising world. And then in the midst of that, I got connected to Haiti. And then that eventually over time became a nonprofit. So you've seen education. You've been a teacher pretty much your entire life. Now my mom's a teacher. Your favorite grade to teach? But you know, um, I I taught sixth grade. I really liked sixth grade upper grades. Um, I went back to teach second grade, and was like, oh man, that's that's too much work. <laughs> they're, they're, they're just like leave me alone for five seconds. But uh, so I, the kind of upper grades were were more my favorite. Uh, sixth grade and up, kind of that were my favorite. Right. I enjoyed teaching college too. I mean, college is a unique. Um, atmosphere just you can have really really interesting deep conversations with people in college so yeah college is also a fun age to teach yeah and i want to get to into everything with you bruce but what first caught my attention was the tail end of your book title nudge to nonprofit and i mentioned that sometimes people don't know where to start when it comes to making a difference in other people's lives so who or what nudged you you know I think that we all, most of us feel nudges, you know, that it's a nudge to call that neighbor we haven't seen in time, or maybe to volunteer at a local organization, or maybe it's a nudge to, you know, to, to give to an organization. But we often don't respond to that. I mean, we, we're, we get, we're getting our kids ready for work or we're and getting off for school and trying to get to work or we're, we're busy doing life or maybe a wonderful cat video comes up on Facebook or whatever. But um, I think we, what I really kind of learned over the years is to respond to those nudges. And so the nudge in Haiti really began, uh, I was, we were in a church in Mitchell, South Dakota, and uh, the pastor and the church was really involved in Haiti and invited me to go on, on a mission trip. And I thought, well, that'd be a kind of an adventure to go to Haiti. And so I said, uh, that was in 2003. And then my second trip to Haiti was in 2008. And then we'll kind of get, get in how it really, really amped up. Um, I was there in 2010 during the big earthquake. Mm-hmm. 
And so we were on this island. We work on an island called Laganov. It's a 40 by 10 mile island on the, in the ocean. And so the earthquake was really a transformative experience for me. And just it was a it was emotional experience. And I just kind of walked away with this feeling that that nudge that we had to do something. And that was the beginning of of what became a nonprofit. It really was a it was really a nudge to just do something. And and my book that you kind of mentioned about it is really one of the things in my book is I just really encourage people to do good somewhere. Um, and I go through a lot of the history of our organization and what's happening in Haiti and and how our organization has grew. But really, in, a, in the end of the book, it's just an encouragement to follow those nudges. Do good someplace, wherever you feel called or connected. Um, that's the place where you're you're most important and, and can be most helpful. Yeah, before you even started Haiti Alive or even began those previous trips, your your journey really started when you were in high school. You were chosen to be a foreign exchange student, and you had a unique experience there. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, it was, it was between my junior and senior year of high school, and I was selected to be in an, an exchange program. It was called American Field Service. And I was selected to be a participant, and then you got to choose your country. And so I thought, well, why don't I choose a country that I wouldn't likely travel to in my lifetime? And so I cho- chose Ghana, which is in West Africa. And it was just such a different experience. It was just so, I mean, here I'm a kid of the plains, you know. Yeah. I grew up in a small town, probably 99.5% white. Um, just <laughs> a very, it was just such a different experience. Um, you know, I'm so used to, you know, when you're hungry, you walk and you open the refrigerator, you open the door. Well, that didn't exist in Ghana. We had to we had to walk to the market for our for, to get food for the day, and we had to walk to carry water for our home. You know, the, we, I got malaria at at the end of our trip, and just the people were waiting in lines for literally hours in the hot sun just to see a doctor, and so it was it was kind of hard to. Um, you know, I was a high school male, a high school male kid. So I wasn't real long on processing feelings or whatever, but, um, it was kind of hard to, to really kind of absorb what that whole experience meant to me. But I do know that it changed me and it changed my perspective of my world. And, and, you know, the beginning of the title of my book is it's not my problem or is it? And I think one of the things that it began me on that journey of saying, you know what, it is my problem. If something happens in the world, just because it's far away, it's still my problem. It's still something that I'm concerned about. And I think one of the issues that I see in our in our world right now is we, we tend to push those problems aside. Well, that's somebody else's problem or it, it happened across the world, so I don't have to worry about it. So I'm trying to say, I, I think it... You know, in retrospect, after I'm, you know, I'm, I'm quite a bit older now than, than I was when I was there, but I really think it changed me from the core. It sort of said, you know... I saw the world differently because of that experience. And so when I came back, I, you know, I, I really knew that um, it had changed me from the core and how I saw the, how saw the world. What shocked you most about your experience in Ghana, besides getting malaria yeah, it was. at the end of it? <laughs> you know, I think it was just that, you know, there's there's wonderful people around the world, no matter what. They look different than we do. Their life is very different than we do, but there's still great people around the world. And I think that's probably what shocked me the most. There were many children that had never seen a white person before. Mm. And so it was just, you know, they wanted to touch my skin and they, they wanted to touch my hair and they that and it was just so different for them. And so you find out also that you don't have to speak the same language to communicate. There's ways that you can connect with people, communicate with kids, even if you don't speak the same language. That's a great lesson there. And what's another lesson that you brought back with you to the States? 
Yeah, I think it was just like how how well we have it here. You know, um, we don't have to walk for water. We don't have to, we can walk to the kitchen for food. We don't have to walk to the market a half a mile away. Um, we have access to health care. Things in, you know, in, in Ghana and in Haiti um, that are small things here, like a, a cut, become very dangerous there because they don't have the, they don't always have the right medicines or bandages to, to care for those. And so, so a small cut here is a trip to down the store to the, to the, you know, to uh, get a bandaid and some medicine or whatever there, it can be life threatening. And so I just think that it just was so different. And it, the experience was such a, was a really a transformative experience for me. If you were just listening, we are being joined in the studio right now with author and activist, Bruce Bloomer. He is part of the nonprofit Haiti Alive, and he also wrote his book, It's Not My Problem, or Is It From Nudge to Nonprofit? So, Bruce, after your international experience in high school, one of many international experience <laughs> that you've had, uh, what journey or life lessons did you have follow you throughout your college and even professional experience? You know, I think... I, I don't know exactly what what I brought with me. I think it was kind of it's later. It's a big question. Yeah, it's a, it kind of kind of realized later that really um, to really look at the world as a small place. I mean, especially now. I mean, I get a I get a message or a, a Facebook message literally every day from someone in Haiti. I, I have we have connections with people across the world. Um, it is a small world. It really is, and so. Um, we really have the opportunity to help people, not only in our neighborhoods, but across in, in different places. And I think the other thing is just a, just somewhat of an appreciation for, for what we have here. Um, our country isn't perfect. We don't, it's not like we don't have um, some issues, but, and we, we have people who are hungry here, but the world is, is a very different place than, than our, our existence. We need to be a little more open to what, how other people are living and what, what people are having to deal with in their own lives. Would you say that you felt different when you came home? Yeah, I, I think it took me a while to process it. You know, it, you come back and you come back to your families and you're talking to them and they don't really understand your experience. It's hard. You, you try to describe it to them, but it's really hard to, to describe and for them to understand the experience. And so it, I think it, over a period of time, it just it came to realize Hey, this really changed me. It changed my perspective. It changed my my um, what I was interested in. Those kinds of things. It 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 almost was one of those things that took me a while to understand um, the impact of my experience there. Did you ever think that your life would lead you though to start a nonprofit? Think about it. You've been in education. You've right. been an administrator, and now all of a sudden, hey, I'm going to start a nonprofit. <laughs> Absolutely not. And, and you know, the other thing I would say is that. Honestly, not every good idea needs to become a nonprofit. Um, so just to give you a little kind of background of what happened, um, I went to Haiti in 2008. I went back in 2010 to this little island called Laganov, and and that was the earthquake year. And so it was a very interesting experience. There were, you know, while a lot of you are seeing these terrible images of what were happening in Port-au-Prince, um, we were on this island of Laganov. We were safe. We had water and we had food. We just weren't sure how we were going to get home. But when I got back from that experience, I just knew that we needed to do something. And so I went back to, to Laganov in 2011, and I interviewed pastors and women's groups and leaders and whoever I could. And I just said, if we could help, what do you need? 
And it was very clear from the people they need help in the areas of education, health care, and supporting the lives of women, children, and the elderly. And so we just started trying to do some things. And so we started sending some money for school scholarships so, so kids could go to school. Um, we, st- we sent some money for medicine. We started this young man, William. Um, he was an orphan. Uh, he was living with his uncle, who was a pastor on this island, but he had this dream of becoming a doctor. And so we started him in medical school, supporting him to become become a doctor in medical school. Um, and we started sending some money for food and things like that. I had no idea that it would lead to a nonprofit. We just started sending and trying to do some goods anywhere, but in some places. But we are really focused of saying we're going to help in education, healthcare and supporting the lives of women, children, and the elderly. And that's been our our focus since the beginning. And in about 2013, yeah, 10 years ago, 2013, the pastor of our church said, hey, this is getting a little bit too big for us. Um, So we actually went through the process of setting up a separate nonprofit. And so for ten last ten years, we we've been a five hundred one c three nonprofit um, called now called we did change the name about about two years ago to Haiti Alive, and um, that that organization has stayed really true to those things. And so, in the terms of education, we now have a school. It's a two level school. We have grades K through nine. Um, we have a nurse on staff. We have we feed the kids every day. Uh, we have a computer lab. We collect water off the roof so we can have clean water in a, in a cistern for the kids. Wonderful, beautiful school. And as an educator, it's just really heartwarming for me to see that. The, the school is called the Rob Marchand Institute. It's named after my best friend who died about 10 years ago from, uh, from cancer. Mm-hmm. And so it was a way for people to kind of honor Rob. And it's really been fun for me to be able to, to honor him in that way. Um, William graduated from medical school. He's come back to Laganov. We have two clinics now. Um, we have, we're just actually building a new clinic. Uh, we have a, a women's village. We, we really, that's a whole story in of itself, but we've built. And we'll um, get to that Yeah, we'll one. get to yes, that one. We have, yes. so we have feeding programs. We have a large Christmas program. Um, we had about 1,100 kids this year. We gave them a small gift and a meal and just had a day of fun for them so, just so they could have and enjoy some some Christmas and, and some, you know, kind of show them the love that they so they deserve. And so it's just grown way beyond where I ever I'd imagined it to. And kind of said in the, in the beginning, I would encourage people to really look at, if they want to set up a nonprofit, look at all the nonprofits that we have in South Dakota. You'd be shocked at how many nonprofits there are and how many of them are doing the same kind of work. And so every good idea doesn't need to become a nonprofit. You have responsibilities. You have to have a board. You have to have, mm-hmm. you have to file, file those things. And so a lot of people don't understand there's more to becoming a nonprofit than just saying I'm a nonprofit. Work through another organization. Work through your church. Work through a similar organization to accomplish those things. And sometimes they do need to become a nonprofit. But um, a long way to say, I, you know, I, I, I don't think that every great idea needs to become a nonprofit. However, <laughs> um, that's where our led to. So why did you decide on the country of Haiti? Well, it started when I was invited by this pastor. Like I said, the church was very involved in Haiti. So I went in 2003 and I had an interesting experience. But 2008 was just, I really got connected to this island. 
And it, it feels good. I tell people that when I go to Laganoff, I feel like I'm home. It's rural. <laughs> it's, it's just more laid back. It feels like South Dakota to me. So I really got connected there. We got connected to this young man called William who started a medical school. But really the reason I got connected to Haiti was the earthquake year. I mean, 2010, we're there during the earthquake. It was a traumatic experience. It was a traumatic experience for our families. It was a difficult getting uh, getting back from after the after the earthquake, and so it just sort of solidified my connection to Haiti. And there's great need there, um, wonderful people, and great need. And so I guess I would just say that was a nudge for me, and I tried to respond and say, you know, I don't know what we can do. And I don't certainly didn't believe at the time we'd become a nonprofit, but we needed to do something. And so we just started small and did did little things that we thought were going to be helpful and, and uh, helpful for the people there. And speaking about little, I like this quote that you have on your website, HaitiAlive.org. In English, it says, little by little, the bird builds its nest. Yeah. Can you can you say it in the native yeah. language? Yeah. yeah. PDPD is Wazofanishly. Uh, it it means little by little the bird builds its nest. It's Haitian Creole, so it's kind of it's a kind of a French based language, um, some African languages, and frankly a lot of made up words. But in Haiti, <laughs> but uh, Haitian Creole is uh, PDPD Zwazo Fanishli, which is little by little the bird builds its nest, and that's really been kind of a heart thing for me. Is like. Um, just do something. Little by little, the bird builds its nest. We didn't have a school overnight. We didn't have two clinics overnight. Yeah. We didn't have a women's village. We didn't have a fit feeding programs. We didn't have that overnight, but little by little we did. And so when we when donors gave us funds, when we had support to do things, then we began that. We began the school, and we started to build the first level of the school. Well, then all of a sudden we were full. We need to build the second level of the school. And we had to have another clinic. And the Women's Village, again, we'll probably talk about that, was a huge, huge project. But we didn't do that overnight. We did that little by little, piece by piece. Um, and that's really, I have actually, my my wife is a cross-stitcher, and I have that cross-stitched um, on my wall. I use that a lot. I just, when I feel overwhelmed or I feel like we're not getting there, little by little, little by little, little by little, we'll get there. I like that. If you are just listening, Bruce Bloomer, he is in the studio right now, author and activist talking about Haiti Alive and his book. And speaking about the Women's Village, let's talk more about it with the Haiti Alive Project. You know, it's been on my heart for a long time that we needed to do something for women. They just have such a difficult life there. They have many responsibilities for their kids and feeding them. And it's just a hard place to be a, a woman. And so I really had this thing in my heart for a long time we needed to do something. And we were very fortunate. We had a very, uh, very generous donor family who bought us a large tract of land, and we decided to start building homes for women and their, and their children. And so we began slowly. We started, got some home sponsors. This donor family also gave a significant amount of money. We actually have 56 homes completed now. Um, and it's, a, it's called the Haiti Alive Village. It's a separate place. It's protected by a, um, by a fence, and so the women are safe. But one of the unique things, and we've actually had a lot of organizations in Haiti come to look at our, at our village because we actually have indoor toilets. Um, they four homes share a septic system, and we actually had to teach the families how to use a toilet because virtually none of them ever used a flush toilet in their life. Oh my life. gosh, yeah! And so we had a well, um, a couple wells on the property that were producing water that it's not clean enough to drink, but it's good enough to use for cleaning and for their toilets. And so we provide them water. 
and the water is used for their toilets. And, and it's, it's, we just wanted a safe place for women and their families. And so we didn't feel comfortable with knowing this would be a, a place with a lot of women and children. We wanted them to have the safety of being able to, to, to bathe and to go to the, use the restroom within their own home. And it's um, our William, who's become our, Dr. William has become our, our, our main contact and director down there he took me out he took his phone the other day and we just walked he walked around the village and it was just ah it was just wonderful to see it you know 56 homes several hundred people live there now we've had we're adding on on what we're calling the agape center um it we have a micro loan program that we started so basically we're giving these small loans to women so they can build their own businesses and then they can learn how to you know have a start a business and and they can feed their own families so we'll have an office for this micro loan office we'll have an office for Haiti Alive, which we have water and food distribution clean water and and food distribution and we're also building a new clinic there and so there'll be a clinic within the village and so that agape center is is nearing completion so we're as as we have funds again uh, available little by little uh, we'll eventually hopefully have a playground on the on the property we'll have uh, we can build up to 64 homes on this particular properties we have eight more homes we could build there the mayor of the town actually said if we will he'll give us some additional land if we'll build a market area and we can build additional homes so if we find those funds if those funds appear then we'll we'll move and we'll build this market area and then we'll also, we'll also have a space where we can build additional homes but it i mean i would, would have never guessed um first of all that we'd have the village that would have been this fast and then just the the beautiful homes that were built um the other thing I would say is that we're 90, 100%, not 99, 100% of the construction was done by local people. And so we paid them. They were able to learn a skill, learn how to build a home, but also then they had funds to feed their own families. And so it's really been neat to see the opportunity for we've been able to provide for those um, people to learn a skill on how to, uh, you know, be learn a construction skill, but also then have an ability to support their own their own families. That's a wonderful part of Haiti Alive. Are there other projects that's under the Haiti Alive umbrella? Yeah, those are kind of the big ones. I mean, the school is a big, the two clinics are, are the, a big project. We do a, a school um, giveaway, a school supply giveaway in the fall. Uh, where where a lot of kids have to share their pens and pencils and notebooks, and so we we give out school supplies to all the schools in the area, not just the, our own school. Um, we have the Christmas program, um, and then in the village, those are kind of the biggest the biggies for us. And, and that's honestly, it's kind of come to the point where what keeps me up at night now is how do we how do we continue to sustain all that <laughs> that we have? The school's gotten expensive because we feed the kids every day. Uh, we pay that we pay over thirty staff every month, and so. Um, it's a wonderful project, but it's gotten to be expensive. It's gotten to be expensive. And Bruce, we've talked a lot about your book, It's Not My Problem, or Is It From Nudge to Nonprofit? And this book details pretty much everything from your time as an exchange student, the story about the earthquake, and more importantly, the answer to your title question. What else can you tell us about this book? You know, it was really a fun book for me to write. I think it has been a book that's been meant to, for me to write for a, for a long time. Um, I had written a couple other books. Uh, I was working for a national organization. I was traveling extensively. And um, so I wrote a couple books. One of them is uh, they're religiously based books. One's on the concept of grace. The other one's on the concept of, of the Holy Spirit. And um, I donate all the profits, anything I, I make from the books, I donate it to our ministry. And so this was a book that I just felt 
felt like I really needed to to write. It's kind of like the history of of how I got interested. Like you said, it talked a lot about Ghana. It talked a lot about how we got into Haiti and the experience. Uh, It talks, it's a little bit instructional about if you want to set up a nonprofit, here's some of the steps you need to go through, here's some of the the pitfalls and so forth. But a lot of it is just stories. It's just stories of of things that happened, really fun things that have happened, some hard, difficult things that have happened. Um, It, I, I don't tell a lot of people this, but I basically wrote the book in a week. Um, oh my I, gosh! I, what I had, I had a kind of outline, <laughs> and my wife, who's my first editor, I sent it to her, and she's like, "Slow down!" I go, "Nope, it's coming out. I'm not stopping it." I basically wrote the book in a week, and it Holy just, cow. I just, it just, it was like I said, it was ten years in the making, and it needed to be written. <laughs> For me, it needed to be written, and and the end of the book, and I mentioned this earlier, the, my the end of the book is just encouraging people to do good someplace, um, wherever you feel called to do. If you feel like it's feeding ministry, then go to feeding South. Dakota, Kids Against Hunger. If you're um, interested in women's issues, go to Call to Freedom. You know, if you're interested in homelessness, go to Bishop Dudley or those places that that you know that house people. Do good somewhere um, and respond to those nudges. I, I do think we all get nudges, but respond to those. And and it, it doesn't have to be Haiti. We make the the world a better place when we respond to those nudges and we do something. So what is the answer to your question? Why should people want to help the people of Haiti or help in general other people? I don't know that most Americans understand the depth of poverty in places like Haiti. Um, you know, do we have homelessness here? Of course we do. Do we have food insecurity? Yes. But it's just not at the same level that it is there. I mean, people don't eat every day. Many people eat once a day. Um, I don't know how you grow old, old in, in Haiti because once you stop working, you don't eat. There's no Social Security. There's no pension programs. There's no, there's no feeding programs I mean, on a regular basis. They're, they just don't have the resources. And when you meet the people, you meet these wonderful people who are living in very difficult situations. And so, again, it's not to say we don't have issues here, but the depth of poverty there and the difficult lives that they lead. And the other addition, uh, the other side of that is they have really, they're wonderful people and they're caring and they're funny and they love to joke with you and they love to have, to, to have fun. It's a really an interesting country just because with its history and those kinds of things. And it's a place where I've gotten connected. So I've had people that have said to me, well, we have problems here. Why don't you give here? And my response to it is something along the line of, well, you must feel called to do work with the people here. I feel called to work with the people in Haiti. So I'll work in Haiti and you work here. And, and then everybody gets everybody gets a, a, a win out of this situation. So I just think people need to respond to where they're interested in when whatever. Um, it's responding to those nudges and, and supporting those things, volunteering with organizations or financially supporting organizations that carry out what you want to see happen in the world. If you are listening, Bruce Bloomer, he is an author, an activist. He's part of Haiti Alive, and he wrote the book, It's Not My Problem, or Is It From Nudge to Nonprofit? So, Bruce, what's next for Haiti Alive? What are some events, projects, or trips you might have coming up? So I'm actually planning to go to Haiti at the end of January. Right now, it is very difficult in the country. The capital of Port-au-Prince has basically been taken over by gangs. And so it's a very unsafe place to be. 
most international organizations have pulled their staff. And so it's just a, you have to basically travel through Port-au-Prince to get anywhere else in the country. And so it's just not a safe place to be. But I really feel that I need to get there to see the village. And we have really great people on the ground there. They're doing great work. But I just, I really feel like I need to be there. So I'm going to try to get there. I think I found a way I can get there safely. It's going to be a long, long trip to get there. But I, I think I can found a way that I can get safely to the island of Laganoff. Our hope is that we can bring teams again because it's really important when we bring people down there, they see the wonderful things that are happening. They meet the people. They feel really encouraged to do something. We do have a fall event. It's called Doing Good Through Music. Um, we have an organization. Last year we had East of Westerville play. We're going to have another group play this, uh, a music group play this this next fall. And that is to raise money for feeding people and so forth. And so it's an event that we have in the fall. We are considering another event in the spring just because things have gotten expensive. You know, the all the food has to be shipped in. We used to be able to bring food from the United States and ship it to the country. And we're not able to do that anymore. So we have to buy it locally and it's become very, very expensive. What we need more than anything right now is just some financial support. You can go to HaitiAlive.org. You can, there's, there's contact information there. There. We aren't able to send people at this point, and so the biggest thing for us right now is really supporting the school, supporting the clinics. You can support a home or support things that happen in our women's village. You can support, you know, all, all the different projects that we have there. And is that website where people can purchase your book as well? Yeah, they can. They can get the book off of Amazon. Um, it's it's available on Amazon. Just you can look up Bruce Bloomer B L U M E R, or you can look up the title of the book. It's, it's easily purchased on on Amazon. And then more information about our ministries on HaitiAlive.org. Or find us on Facebook. I do a lot better job of updating the things that are happening in Haiti. You know, I could just put the Christmas program and some other, whenever we meet, you know, I'm just better about updating um, (laughs) Facebook. So um, find Haiti Alive on Facebook and you can kind of find out all the current things that are happening there. And once again, that book title is called It's Not My Problem or Is It From Nudge to Nonprofit? Bruce Bloomer, thanks so much for joining us this morning. It was a great conversation. Thank you.